Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. I am your host, Scott Ramage. And in this episode, I get to chat with my buddy, Jeff Giosi. Jeff is a six-year CrossFit gym owner. He owns CrossFit Morgantown in West Virginia. He shares that business with his wife, Sarah. They have uh, two young kids. And um, I'm really excited for you to hear about how Jeff and his wife operate in a very, very busy household. Um, and something that uh, I definitely want to talk a little more about is a fun fact about Jeff is he has his belly button pierced and he got that pierced at a bachelor party and it was a pink dangly piercing. So <laughs> welcome to the show, Jeff. <laughs> great, great leading buddy. Great leading. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I really do. Um, let's, let's start there because I, I fear that I might forget and I, this is not something I want to forget <laughs> to talk about. So, um, I mean, you're, you're a strong, uh, dude, you own a CrossFit gym, you're in very good shape. Uh, what, what incarnation caused you to get your belly button pierced? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't just any bachelor party, Scott. It was my bachelor party. Um, uh, so the way it worked is the, the gentleman who was in charge of it, my best friend, I told him nothing that I wanted to do. I just told him to make it epic. And he corralled all of the closest men in my life. And we had an excursion. Not getting too much into weeds on it. Uh, I could probably talk about uh, I could probably talk about it for about an hour. But uh, I was coaching the 5.30 a.m. class on a Friday at my gym. All of a sudden, the lights went out. They threw a flashbang, like a legit flashbang. Oh, my gosh. They stormed out of the bathroom, tackled me, zip-tied my, my ankles and my hands. Uh, I was pepper sprayed and thrown in a trunk. Serious. <laughs> uh, many, many hours later, uh, I may have had the nerves in my jaw numb, so I couldn't really talk, and I was drooling on myself. And then uh, I was brought to a tattoo shop where I was given the choice of getting my nipple pierced or my belly button pierced. And Scott, I got to be honest with you, I have a thing for symmetry. So just one nipple wasn't going to work for me. Uh, so, <laughs> so I went with the belly button. <laughs> oh man. Now I already asked you this, but do you still have a belly button ring? <laughs> no, it, it, uh, it was in for about a week and a half, but I'll tell you what, not cleaning it properly and doing a bunch of burpees. It got us uh, really infected, Scott. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The stuff inside of, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I yeah. got you. Yeah. That's... But, but I'll tell you what, for that week and a half, I looked, I looked pretty sexy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how long have you and Sarah been married? Uh, we actually debate on that all the time. Um, she doesn't know how to count years. So we got married in 2015. So she always counts 2015. But I always tell her it doesn't count until 2016. So oh, gosh. it's officially been it's it's officially been five years. She believes it's been six. Yeah. So she likes to accelerate it. She likes to accelerate it a year. Yeah. Right. So this 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 belly button piercing is far enough history that we um, really can't hold it against you anymore because that was you know five years ago. <laughs> we, so. we, I have a bunch of pictures. Oh, I was also wearing a tutu when it happened. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they seriously maced you, pepper sprayed you. 
Absolutely. Were you nervous? Yes, did you know what was going on? Did you did you realize uh, it was them or? I, I mean, I figure you don't typically see a flashbang at five thirty in the morning. No. Um. So, so I, I mean, it was kind of a, a tip off that it was them. Uh. But I had no idea what was happening. I had no idea where we were going, and I was legit thrown in trunk. Um. And it, it, it wasn't the only time I was pepper sprayed all weekend. <laughs> oh man! All right. <laughs> I, yeah. You're laughing about uh, it, so I'm okay with <laughs> it. My, my my best friend did deliver. It was 100 percent epic. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Sounds like it. Um, so <laughs> you're you're five, <laughs> maybe six years married now, depending on who's counting. Right. Um, and you have two, right. you have two kids, very young. One's you said yes, one sir. and a half, and one's three. Yep, you got it. Okay. All right. So. Um, Let's let's chat about your wife a little bit. I, and listeners don't know, but I do another podcast, and I had the mm-hmm. opportunity to interview your wife. She's a pretty phenomenal lady. Yeah, yes. Um, and um, what what blew me away is the fact that she is the co owner of your gym, or at least I, I believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's yep. married to you, who owns it. Whatever the <laughs> whatever the circumstances yeah. are, there she's co owner <laughs> one way or another. Um, yep. And she is a kind of a, a public voice. She works in radio and you yep. have these two young kids. So I kind of wanted to dive into like how you guys make this happen because um, a lot of guys, you know, are, are working from home or they, um, I mean, they aren't working from home, excuse me, their wives are working from home or they expect their wives mm-hmm. to kind of take care of the kids. And here you are. Um, and you, you had told me your wife works early in the mornings. So walk us through your right. day. Yeah, so it was a couple of years ago, Sarah and I sat down and we believe that life shouldn't be accidental. Uh, it needs to be planned, needs to be thought out. And even though by nature I'm not a planner, I know there's so much power in you're not, you're never going to live your ideal day unless you create it, even if it's not in the, the short term. What is your ideal day in five years? What is your ideal day in 10 years? And then basically kind of, deconstruct it and work backwards and then start creating little elements of it now. So Sarah and I sat down individually and wrote down what her ideal day was and what my ideal day was. And then we did it as a family unit, um, both compromising here and there and figuring out cohesively what worked best for our family. And what you brought up earlier was cross the gyms open up early in the morning and what does that look like when I'm in charge of kids? And we have worked it out where we believe in con- continuity of care. So we have the same morning coach every single day at the gym, and it's not me. And so it works out really good that I don't cover those classes. I cover the 11:30 and I cover the 3:30, and I am home with my boys all morning, every morning. There has been, I think. Arlen's three years old. In three years, there's been less than 10 occasions that I had to wake him up to bring him in to coach that 5.30 a.m. class. Um, But we do have places that they can nap upstairs. We have offices that they can nap in the gym upstairs. So the way it works is every day, uh, I get them up. I get 100% dad and son time with both my boys. And then I get them ready for the day, put them in the car, drive to the gym, 
they go upstairs and nap. Sarah gets off work, comes to the gym, takes the 1130 with me coaching it. And then after the boys wake up from nap, she takes them and runs a couple errands, maybe goes grocery shopping and then goes home with the boys. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, it sounds like it's a fine oiled machine, really. Honestly, if she, <laughs> if she can come in, it, I'm sure it has its days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it works uh, on the majority of days. It, it works pretty seamlessly and, and it is, it is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, um, the mornings with when my boys were young and I finally figured things out, it wasn't until Bryson was like five or six and my, my other, my other son was like three is when I figured it out. Mm-hmm. It, took me, it took me a lot longer than you. Um, <laughs> when I, when I made my mornings available and started my day with my boys, it was, yeah. it was a game changer. It, it, it actually set my mind straight. You know, it gave me focus on what was important from the very start. Absolutely. Yeah. And I found, I found it to be a really, uh, a really great way to start their day. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure every guy has that opportunity, but I want to get back to this, um, life shouldn't be accidental thing you talked about because yeah. I think a lot yeah. of people know this. They, they talk about like, you know, family guys talk about like their family vision statement or family mission statement or these mm-hmm. things that you have to, that you want to be intentional about. But putting it down on paper, actually making it, you know, a priority to do with your spouse is pretty tough. Like, how long did yeah. it take you guys to talk about it and then actually get into, like, what does our ideal day look like? And where did that, where was that born from? Uh, Sarah and I are both communicators. We, I, I, I would say as a business, we over communicate. Uh, and and that, that's who we are as individuals. So for us, it's really easy to have a conversation. It's really easy to talk. It, it happened early on, Scott. We, we talked about it. And I think it was right around the time she was pregnant with number one mm-hmm. that we realized that we needed to be super intentional as a couple uh, because that would set us up to be the best parents that we could be. What we see a lot uh, is in our culture – and Sarah and I knew that we didn't want this to happen. We see this a lot in our culture where once kids enter the picture, the spouse is not number one anymore and the kids become number one and the kids pretty much rule the roost and everything gets formulated around the kids. And Sarah and I were very intentional. We didn't want that to happen. And we also wanted to maintain that uh, besides my love for God, she is my number one and I am her number one and the kids are underneath that. So for us, it was, it was about segmenting it to make sure that that happened and we didn't lose sight of it just naturally as we were going along. So, uh, it was one day, I, it was either a book I was reading or something she heard. We had a conversation about what, what is our ideal day? We both took about a week to write it up. And then I, really official like emailed her my ideal day she sent me her ideal day we talked about it we sat down and we figured out what was going to be best to set us up for success as a family and that comes to the the schedule that we that we're at now okay so um i want to play a little devil's advocate because i i I do actually fall immediately in line with 
or directly in line with your, your saying, I think a lot of guys these, yeah. these days would say um, that it's impossible for once you have kids for your spouse to be uh, above, you know, more important than your kids. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to, I want I want to hear from you why, why and how you do that. Cause a lot of people also, a lot of men have actually told me that they don't believe it's possible. And so um, right. I, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about that. <laughs> a lot of different ways I could, I could take that. So our children are a combination of Sarah and I, and in a large degree, I didn't choose my children. I, cho- I chose to have my children, but I didn't choose my children. Um, they are amazing and I love them to death and they're extraordinary human beings. And I'm so pumped to see how they grow into young men and, and then men and they live their life. I'm so excited to see that. But growing up and maturing as a man myself, I got to choose my wife. And I think that is so overlooked that Sarah and I had children. And depending on like the DNA and this and that, I didn't choose who they were. And we get to parent together. I chose Sarah. Sarah chose me. And I get to choose her above everything every single day. That to me is one of the greatest joys in of my life. Now, that's not to say, I think what gets lost when you talk about it like this sometimes, Scott, is the needs of my children sometimes will outweigh the needs of my wife and vice versa. The needs of my children will sometimes outweigh my needs and she'll have to tend to them more. However, if you look at it in a macro sense, in a large sense, that might be a one-off thing where I am always her number one and she is my number one. The kids are second to that because our family is not going to function properly if the majority of the time the kids are number one because I'm just going to be playing with you, Scott. Like There are certain needs that a husband needs and we could talk deeper about Gary Chapman's love languages, but there's certain needs that a husband needs and there's certain needs that a wife needs and a lot of times that the kids feel that and then each spouse doesn't get what they need. And, and that, that marriage isn't going to flourish. And then you're also not going to be the optimal parent you want to be. Absolutely. So I I've seen it this way and I think you really, you, you actually put that more eloquently than I do. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that because it was very well, <laughs> very well thought out or, or at least spoken. Um, I, I've seen so often that men will say, well, my wife is, uh, since my kids were born, she is like extremely focused on them and I have become second mm-hmm. to the kids. And in my yeah. response, and I think, I think this holds true is yeah. At the beginning, a woman has this, um, the, she, she goes through an incredible amount of, um, hormonal changes and then mm-hmm. it is on her usually to like nurse the child. There's no one that we can replace, yeah. replace that. And then there's this extreme bond that, that forms. However, I think where this, where this goes wrong is where the man, um, doesn't pick up the responsibility of remem- remembering that it happened 
before the child, the love, the, 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 mm-hmm. the relationship happened before the child and you were caring yeah. for your wife in a certain way, just because you have kids does not mean you do not need to fulfill those same and probably mm-hmm. more needs of your wife. And then I think there's this, this breakdown that occurs where the wife now isn't getting it from the husband. And so there's this like the communication breakdown. The, the husband yeah. feels like the wife's having the needs met by the kids. The wife feels like the husband isn't meeting her needs and the kids now are filling the gap and it just continues to spread. And I love that you said, mm-hmm. you know, it's basically being intentional. This is, this was us first. This was, this was us. And, yeah. and this, the, uh, I know there's probably going to be listeners who are part of, um, uh, blended families or, you know, they've been divorced and, and that's fine. I, mm-hmm. I, I, there's definitely different ways to approach this, but I'm talking about a married couple that, that has remained married and their kids are mutually birthed, um, within that relationship. So I absolutely yeah. love that. Where do you find, I mean, six, five, excuse me, five years of marriage, depending on who I side with. Yeah. Here. Um, <laughs> what's your biggest struggle with, not with your kids, but with, with your relationship with your wife? So, this is going to be an interesting answer. Sarah is my best friend. I strive to pursue her daily, and I fail time and time again. Mm -hmm. And I'm a broken man. Um, However, she is my best friend. The thing that Sarah and I struggle with the most Honestly, I would love to spend more time with her because she is my best friend. I, I don't, a lot of people, and this gets thrown around a lot, like, I, Scott, I love my wife. I do. But I also really, really like my wife. Yeah. And when someone is your best friend, you want to spend time with them. Mm-hmm. So for us, it, our schedule is ideal for our family right now. The, the biggest struggle is I wish I could hang out with my best friend more. Yeah. yeah. The cycle of life. And that kind of leads really kind of where I wanted to go next was um, business ownership. It, for those, yeah. those listening who have not owned a business, it is an incredible, <laughs> incredible time suck. Not necessarily uh, boots on, on the ground at the location or doing the work. It's at the work has um has the ability when you own a business mm-hmm. it has the ability to fill all time whether it's boots on the ground or just thoughts in your head what have you done to yeah. to um mitigate that within the family structure so it was probably about 3 months ago 3 or 4 months ago now we were feeling the weight of the business, the job, kids, and even being super sensitive about a lot of things, it, it adds up. And no fault of 2020 or the pandemic, it, it has nothing to do with that. Um, but we did face a shutdown. We were shut down for eight weeks. And from an outsider standpoint, you're like, oh, you're shut down. You probably have less work to do. But trying to keep the community together and trying to keep the doors open and being creative with different revenue streams 
it was actually a lot more work when we were shut down uh, than our facility being open. So we, we felt that weight. And Sarah is, if anyone follows Enneagram or knows what Enneagram is, Sarah is a type three, a number three. So she is a doer. She is an achiever and she feels loved for things that she accomplishes, mm-hmm. not who she is. Um, so she's, she always has endless to-do lists and she feels like if she sits down for, for more than 30 seconds at a time, she, she's failing. So what we became really intentional in doing is one day a week, and it is Sunday, we do absolutely nothing. And when I say nothing, we preset the coffee on Saturday night. There's crock pot, there's crock pot meals made on Saturday. Everything that needs to be done or taken care of to sustain life on Sunday is done on Saturday. And we do nothing. There's no work done. There's no work for the gym. There's no outside work. And it is just the four of us spending time together as a family. And we do our best job to not even leave the house. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I, I'm going to be <laughs> honest with you. My wife and I made a commitment to that. Uh, I don't know if it was three or four or five months ago. And it was by my prodding. Yeah. She she talked about it. And um, I was needing, uh, you know, burnout can happen if you don't take a day off. Yeah. And disconnect and all these things. And we failed over and over again. In fact, last Sunday I worked all day and I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm like, I, I just, my excuse was, I just literally did not have the time to get everything done that needed to be done. And so I really commend you guys because I know how hard that is probably, especially for her. I mean, you're obviously have some sort of doer in you because you do own a business, but, um, do, right. you, do you see her getting unsettled or, or antsy or has she been able to lean into it wholeheartedly? I mean, not throwing her it was, under the bus, yeah. but it's got to be hard. Yeah, it, it was a lot harder for for her in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But it is something that we actually cherish as a family now. Because rarely throughout the week do we get to all four of us be together. Mm-hmm. And then that intentional quality time, purposeful time together. So... Sunday, honestly, Scott, Sunday has become completely sacred to us. Mm-hmm. And if there's plans at all on a Sunday, uh, we actually weigh out if we're going to do them because yeah. we want to stay at home as a family in our pajamas and do nothing. <laughs> yeah. And and it, it it has been it's been extraordinary for, for us as a family. And I, a lot of listeners are going to say like they can't do that because of X, Y, and Z. And I'm going to use the word sacrifice. There are things that we're not doing so we can have that. But the word sacrifice, it's like if you actually look at it and you actually look at like what a sacrifice is, you're giving up something for something greater. And the thing that's greater is us together as a family. Yeah. So you're putting, you're, you're literally living, this is really cool because I think basic you've picked Sunday, but you've picked this day to actually live what you said early on was first it's your faith, then it's your wife, 
yep. then it's your kids and then whatever else, mm-hmm. right? That's how I run my life is like, okay, everyone's yeah. going to know that my faith comes first. And they, they, some people think that's crazy that it comes before my wife, but then is my wife and my wife do, does come before my kids. So if you look at it that right. way and then work is down below, if you work at it, look at it that way, by putting work in on a day like that, you're actually um, sacrificing mm-hmm. the things that are more important, which is not the way we should be doing things. So yeah, what's the hardest part of that? What's the hardest part of really just setting a full day aside for you? Ooh, um, nothing. I, I, I know that seems like a crazy answer, but I'll take it. I know, and, and the way it lines up now, I know that Sunday is off. So there, there isn't much that it's about. To, it, for me, it's about what I'm gaining. And Scott, it, like life is still fleeting. And even even in the the three years that I've been a father, like it, it, it's bittersweet to see the boys grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, every every new milestone, you're you're letting something else go that they did. Right. right. And there, there's a sense of that, that is heartbreaking. And recently the gym, the schedule got changed up a little bit. So three nights of the week, I have to coach all evening and I don't get to be home for tubby time and putting the kids to bed. And thankful for technology. Sarah will call me on, on what's happened. I get to see the boys and, and, but it breaks my heart that I'm not there with them in that moment and we're not together as a family. So for me, like there is nothing that's more important than that, that I need to be doing in that moment other than being with them. So for me, it, the hardest thing is Sunday night when they go to bed. Yeah. Because you know, it's, it's a whole nother six days before yep. you get to repeat. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's something, I mean, everyone should strive for and especially coming from, um, you know, my, my boys are um, just shy of 13 and 16. And so mm-hmm. with a 16 year old, life changes dramatically when there's a license mm. and there's, yeah, you know, um, he, he, he actually goes to his church high school church group, which is like church on Sunday evening. And he's just out, gets in the car and drives away. Right. It's a very, very new experience. And I think back to, um, the, you know, when they were young and the fact that everything they did hinged on our decisions, <laughs> Right, <laughs> and I think it's right. so incredibly important at the ages of three and one and a half to not take advantage of that you've got you know thirteen, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, however many years before that happens mm-hmm. because time goes really fast. Um, so yeah. I think it's really cool that you're doing that. Um, when do your kids go? So they're they're not in school yet. So are they with one of you guys? It sounds like they're with one of you all day long. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you got them in the morning, yeah. and then you do the transition at the gym. Um, and you nap. You yep. said you nap them at the gym. You know, buddy. They uh, 
they they nap during the eleven thirty, um, and it, the members are still amazed that we take them upstairs. Three minutes later, we come downstairs and they nap for probably about two hours mm-hmm. uh, upstairs while class is going on. Mm-hmm. I, I want to now. People used to be amazed at the schedule that we kept our boys at. Uh, my wife was yeah. incredible at. Uh, the boys would go to bed pretty much same time every night. They didn't cry. Mm -hmm. They slept through the night very early on um, because she uh, was so adamant about getting them to that point and studied and really paid attention to, is that what you guys did? Did you guys? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll, we, again, we communicate so much and, and we talked about, uh, and, and this goes back to what we talked about in the beginning. Sarah's always my number one and I'm her number one. And for us, it was a parenting decision. We never had our kids sleep in our room. From the night that we came home from the hospital, they were in their own room. Yep. Because to us, that bedroom is sacred to who she and I are and who we are as a couple. And yeah, we had to get out of bed and we had to go across the hallway if they were crying and, and figure it out. Um, so that was a little bit more work, but that was our space and they needed to learn what their space was and what their bed meant, what their room meant. And so really early on, uh, both of them were sleeping through the night and it's been like that ever since. And I'll be honest with you. Um, they go to bed at about eight thirty or nine. And Arlen gets up a little bit earlier now, but they know that they're not allowed out of their room until I get them out of the room in the morning, which depending on what's going on could be between nine and 10. Yeah. I think that that's, um, I think that's unbelievable to people. Now (laughs) you and I are on the same plane. We did the exact same thing with our kids. We Mm -hmm. never had them sleep in our room. Um, they were to stay in the room until we came in. They literally didn't Mm -hmm. cry through the night because we had that expectation set at a very, very early age. And I, you know, that's another whole intentionality about keeping your wife, your relationship Mm -hmm. with your wife at the, as first it's, it's first. And it's so hard because, um, a lot of men in the group will actually say like, we're having a really tough time getting our kid to bed almost Mm -hmm. nine times out of 10. They have been, I don't what do they call it? Co-sleeping or, or whatever, where the kids have been in their bed since birth. And, and as much as, you know, you want that closeness and that, that connection. Um, I think that's where it all starts to break down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably make a lot of people mad, but I think it's a really bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. So, so in my opinion, so Here's what's interesting. So Sarah and I got married when I was 35. We didn't have Arlen until I was 37. So that gave me a bunch of data (laughs) in in, in a group of about 10 really close guy friends. And and I'm super fortunate to have them. I was the seventh. I was the eighth one to get married. Um, So I saw my buddies get married. I saw them have, have kids. And what was great is I got to basically study their their relationships with their wives. I got to study when they, when their wives were pregnant, I got to see
see what made their wives angry. I got to see when they had kids, how things went. And I started formulating ideas like if, if I was ever blessed enough to get married and, and have kids, how would I do it? How, what do I want it to look like from all the data of watching my friends before me? So I think what's interesting about kids is, and this is an unpopular opinion, kids act out to find boundaries. And here's the thing, like if you have a kid in their own room and at the first sign of them crying, you bring them in, in your room, there's no boundary that's set. Right. And what's interesting is modern parents want to keep their kids so safe so they don't set boundaries. But the interesting thing about that is the world eventually is going to set those boundaries and it's going to be a lot harsher and harder for them, for them to learn if they didn't learn it when they were younger. So if one of our sons were crying, we'd go in, we would not bring them in our room. We would figure out what was wrong, get them settled down. And if they were still crying, Hey, we love you. We'll be back in five minutes if you're still upset. And that took more work on the front end, but it's so much more rewarding on the back end with them sleeping through the night, understanding boundaries and being good human beings because they understand limits and they understand. I heard this quote from uh, Jordan Peterson's book, uh, chapter five, don't let your kids do anything that you would resent them for. He basically said that children are like blind people searching for that wall. Yep. And if you don't provide that wall, they're not going to know what those boundaries are. So if, if your son or daughter, if your child's having trouble sleeping and they get out of bed and you let them watch a cartoon every night to get them tired, you're rewarding them for not going to bed opposed to, and, and, and this is going to be harsh, opposed to actually parenting. Parenting is hard. Parenting is not giving the child what they want. And, and, and Scott, <laughs> I don't want either one of my sons to have an easy life. If they have an easy life, I did not do them a service as a parent. Because an easy life isn't going to, it's not going to teach you anything. In, in the world of fitness, Scott, do you learn more from an easy workout or a hard workout? Right. Obviously hard. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, 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 learn, you learn your limits. You learn, you learn so much about who you are as a person going through that hard workout. Not that easy one. It doesn't teach you anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, had a, I had the unique opportunity, you know, um, as, an, as an educator. Every year was a reset button. And every year was yeah. a new experiment. There were years where I did not set firm enough boundaries and I paid the price mm -hmm. the entire Absolutely. year. I tried to yeah. bring, it's like you let some rope out and trying to bring it in is just impossible. There were years where I was on my game from the very beginning and they were the best yep. years ever. And I think that's a really, like a little bit of an incubator for seeing what parenting is like. Um, and I've seen it now as a parent of older kids. 
Um, we did mm-hmm. a massive amount, and I say we really lightly. My wife was definitely right. Uh, we've been best friends forever, but I, I kind of failed as a father for the first few years. I got lost in a business. I didn't do those inten- mm-hmm. intentional things that you did, but um, all of the work is front loaded. You work really, really, yeah. really hard to get your kid to sleep, and it doesn't take very long, and it's very painful. But when it's done, it's magic. And, and mm-hmm. the kids have decided they know exactly black and white what the boundaries are. And I heard this said the other day. It's like, okay, is, is your child in the bedroom? Yes. Did you feed them today? Yes. Uh, do they have anything dangerous within their reach? No. Okay. So right. what's the worst case scenario right now? They cry for a while and it drives you crazy. Like, mm-hmm. get over it. They're, they're feeling, and, and sure, sometimes there's some needs that need, be, need to be met. And um, I actually have talked to some parents who have have actually learned the language of crying. They're like, I know when they're yeah. they're hungry. I know when they're you know. And there's certain ones you ignore, and and because they know that by waiting it out, um, the child is learning through that that experience. So I I think that there's a message here that the the upfront the front loaded work is so yeah so good and. Having kids at the older age, I feel really bad when I tell parents that are struggling with their kids that from like age eight on five, maybe even five on, maybe even four or three, it's been really easy. It's been, and they're like, well, you just don't understand. You didn't have that, that kid. I'm like, I think it has more to do with the fact that we set the boundaries so well yeah and the expectations so well, and we train them so well to understand that um, there is a very safe black and white line. And that's another thing. Kids will push on that to find out if they're safe or not. You know, you said they'll, they'll yeah. they, they don't know where the safety is. And so they, they, these are kids that act out in school or whatever, sometimes are just trying to get their boundaries defined. They need to know where their boundaries yeah. are. And so um, I love that message because I know that I know I can tell you right now, you guys are going to have a pretty cruising um, elementary school. I mean, you got you, you, your kids are going to be the ones that other parents are looking at going, what in the heck? Why are they the lucky ones? It has nothing to do with luck. It has the fact that uh, it has everything to do with how you raised them. So the, the breed of dog choice for the GOCs is a pit bull. Uh, we don't currently have one, but uh, I believe we'll we'll be getting one probably in the next year or so. But what's so unique about pit bulls is, and, and I've owned a, a couple in my life, there's a kind of phrase that goes along with them, don't hate the breed, hate the deed. And it it there's nothing wrong with a pit bull. What's wrong is how they're raised. Mm-hmm. And if, if you let that go on to children, it, it's the same exact thing. There's no bad kids. There are a bunch of bad parents. Yeah. And, and that is harsh. And this is, this is a practice that I do every single day. So I am lucky to be with my boys in the morning and I cherish that time. As we drive, drive to the gym, I reflect on my parenting that morning. And I basically grade myself out. Like, was I a good parent? Was I not a good parent? And, and you talked about, every year as a teacher being able to have that, that new year reset. What if as parents, what if as fathers, 
we could have that reset every single day. Absolutely should. So, <laughs> yeah, so there are days that I absolutely fail as a parent. That doesn't mean I'm a failure. I failed that day, but just like we talked about, you learn more from a hard workout. I learned more from that day where I failed. All right, why did I fail? And then I can intentionally make that choice to fail again the next day and go down that road of being a failure, or I could right the wrongs and go on a new path. And there's so much power in that. It, it takes more work to choose to do the right thing. But like we talked about, it's front loaded. If you choose to do that work every single day, your life is going to be easier and you're going to be tougher and more resilient for it in the future. And, and your kids, I, I've experienced this with, with Arlen, the three-year-old, um, not so much with, with Mac yet because he's still a little, little younger, but parents are so afraid to discipline and punish their kids. And they don't want to do that. They want to be best friends with their kids. And there's a line between parenting and being friends. And, and a lot of people would rather be friends with their kids than be parents. What I have experienced is Arlen searches out for boundaries all the time. And I discipline him and I punish him and I am consistent. And Sarah disciplines him and punishes him and she is consistent. What I have experienced, and this is crazy, in the moment, he might give me a dirty look, he might cry, he might be upset. Then when we have a reset, maybe he wakes up from that. That little dude is all over me. Yep. He he loves me so much that I disciplined him and that I punished him. And, and his little three-year-old baby brain can't conceptualize it. But he loves that I showed him those boundaries and that he actually feels safer because I created those boundaries and he knows what they are. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And I want to kind of add to your... You, you mentioned earlier about failure. It's okay to let your kids fail. In fact, it's really yeah. good to let them fail in a place in their lives where it's not catastrophic. If a kid fails... The stakes aren't that high. Right. I mean, if they fail at 16, it actually could be catastrophic if they're driving. Yeah. Or if they get involved in hardcore drugs or, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, not so great sexual practices that lead to pregnancy before they're ready mm -hmm. for it. All these different things that um, can happen. Like, think about in a, in a weight room, you're, you don't know what you can do until you've gone to the mm -hmm. place of failure. Like you don't yeah. know how much you can lift in any certain lift until you've actually failed. And um, I think that's such a great way to think about what kids need as, as, um, as children in a, in a safe environment. If we can let them mm -hmm. fail over and over and learn to work through that in a safe place, when it's unsafe, they're not going to fail nearly as much because they've been through the process and they know how to navigate. And so I think that's a really good point. I, uh, yeah. With, with both of my boys, I actually intentionally set them up for failure. Mm -hmm. And where a lot of times kids get yelled at for like building towers and then climbing up the tower because I, I, the, the word I guess I would use is dangerous. Um, 
if I'm there and I'm watching my son, I let him explore that because, again, if he falls off of a, a four-foot tower that he built, like he's going to get dinged up a little bit, but he's going to be okay. And I'm there, and and it's a safe environment for him to fail in. And and like you said, I don't want to create an environment where he has no idea what these limits and boundaries are, and he goes to experiment when he's 16 or 18 or 20 or whatever it is. I want him to understand. And, and I'll be honest with you, in, in a very real sense, I want him to understand, A, how to overcome failure, and B, that there are consequences. Yeah. Like, if you if you fall off your four-foot tower, bro, like, you're going to get hurt. <laughs> and and I, I don't want to restrict him from that because he's never going to learn that if I just take him off and just say no. And it, it's going to be more tempting for him to do in the future where, like, I sit there, and I'm not aloof to it. I go, Arlen, if you jump off of that, he, like, here are the consequences that could happen. And, like, Scott, I let him make the choice for himself. Mm-hmm. And what's awesome is, like, I love watching the men that my boys are growing into because of the because not the decisions that I'm making for them, because of the freedom of me giving them to make their own decisions in, in those settings. Yeah, something that um, Josh and I, um, the co-hosts of this podcast, say often, and something that we we wrote in stone very early on as one of the values is that um, our our job or we are commissioned as fathers to raise future adults. We're not supposed to mm-hmm. raise kids. Like that's what's wrong mm-hmm. with so much of society now. We've raised children. Yeah that are still children because we didn't give them a chance to fail. We didn't let them understand. Mm -hmm. And I say we loosely because I don't feel like I've done this. We didn't let them understand um, that what their actions could actually mean to them. And we didn't help them Mm -hmm. understand that you have to work really hard to get results and that, and that failure is just a process. And so when, if you look at it the way, basically what you're doing is you're molding, future incredible adults adults that understand consequences adults that understand boundaries adults that understand their own limitations but are also ready to push the envelope for their own success um adults that know that life is built around a framework of things that um that define how we can operate in our world in a safe and effective manner so i think that's an incredible lesson uh, and and also, I know that there's probably men listening to this or, or women listening to this whose kids are older and they're fighting an uphill battle. And um, I just I just think it's in, important to say it's okay to start in, imposing those boundaries now because yeah. I, I've also had the experience as a teacher where I had a horrible year one year and the next year I had some of the same kids come in and set, reset the parameters and it was a great mm-hmm. year. And so it's never too late. And I know. Teaching is different than parenting, but it's this little microorganism of of structure within a youth in a child's life. So um, it's not too late. It's not too late. But I I like that um, you put Sarah first. So would she say that she puts you before the kids? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you guys talk yep. about that? Yeah. Yeah. And and what's so unique with communication? is I don't think 
a lot of married couples communicate well. And if you look at the divorce rate and you look at actually why people are getting divorced, like they might blame it on money. They might blame it on this or that, but it actually comes down to a failure or a lack of communication. And like I said, it, it ebbs and flows. Sometimes, no question, the boys need more attention than I do. Um, for whatever's going on, it, it might be a certain day or a certain time of, of whatever it is, the boys might need more attention than I do. Um, if I feel neglected as a husband, and I think you see a lot of breakdown in families like this, if I feel neglected as a husband, I talk to Sarah about it. And I explain to her why I feel neglected. I explain to her what I would like to see happen. I don't, I don't act out. I don't yell about something that isn't irrelevant to, I, and here's the thing, Scott, I think even though we are adults, I think there are little boys inside of all of us. And like when the person I care the most about in the world, my best friend, when I feel neglected because the kids need more at that time, like you're like that same little kid in the playground that your best friend's not playing with you and you can go over in the corner and pout or you can talk to your best friend. Mm -hmm. And I think so many men go in the corner and pout. And then that's when you see, whether it be affairs, whether you see, uh, drinking, heavy, heavy drinking, when you see them going into different endeavors and, 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 all these different things where they actually then in turn neglect their wife and neglect their family because now they're doing these, these different ventures where if you would have just had that conversation with your spouse, it wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah. Right. It, communication, expect uh, clear expectations, uh, ability to share openly the feelings that are occurring uh, without those things start to break down and it, and it, and it, it has everything to do with almost all divorces out there. Some people would argue, well, my wife cheated on me. <laughs> Why did she cheat on you? Mm -hmm. Was communication excellent before then? What were your priorities set straight? Were you being um, a father? Were you paying attention to things mm -hmm. you were supposed to be? It, it really comes down to communication. You know, it's, it's yeah. it, kids. Um, School or social environments are a training ground for marriage. I mean, I think back to when I was a kid, and if I started talking more to one kid than I did to my best friend, um, my best friend would go seek attention from someone else. It, and it's, right. this is yeah. exactly the same inside of marriage. And a lot of times yeah. that attention is a kid or the children, and then if that's not fulfilling, it goes other directions that are less desirable for a marriage. So um, I think communication and intentionality, you guys have nailed that down. It's incredible. Um, we, uh, we, do a, we do a family meeting every Sunday night. Mm -hmm. And one of the parts of it is what does Sarah or what do I have in this upcoming week that we need support from the other person on? So it, it's kind of taking it to that next level of being intentional. Like if Sarah has something, Sarah developed a a stop dieting course for women. Um, and it's a one month course. They're audio episodes. It's like, like it is, Scott, it is phenomenal. 
Um, it goes into the history of dieting and, and body image. It, it's incredible. And when she kicked it off for the first time, the thing that she needed support from me was it was going to be a stressful week. Like she's putting herself out there. She's, she's developed this whole plan and she said she needed support on it. And then I think here's, here's the idea of being in tune with your partner. I, I'm not a smart man. Like she can tell me she needs support. My follow-up question to that was, Sarah, what does that support look like? Oh, because so just good. saying you need, just saying you need support. Like I might think it means X, Y, and Z, and I might do those things, but it, it might not come through to you at all. I need to know in black and white what does support look like for you, so I can then do those things. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and that's another one um, that runs in parallel a lot with when we talk about you know when when your wife comes to you and is complaining or has has something upsetting her, uh, you really should start that whole op- that conversation before you just start talking about solutions and is asking what she needs from you. Do you need me to be mm-hmm. just a confidant? Do you need me to just be, listen, or do you want solutions? And it's the same in this situation. I love that you guys do a Sunday meeting. We do a Sunday family yeah. meeting. Um, your kids are, you know, young, but my kids are 100% involved in the family meeting every, every Sunday. It's an expectation. We have it every Sunday. No, there Mm -hmm. no exceptions. And we discuss what's going on in the week and what that looks like and how that's going to affect everyone else. And it sets the family up for success. I think it's an incredible thing. You guys have started really early. That is, um, a game changer for our family over the last four or five years. I grew up when um, the family started to be in turmoil, you would have a family powwow. Well, this is the, <laughs> this is the, uh, and that worked out really well, but this, this you're doing it every week. So you're in front of it. Right. And I think it's a really, it's a really good methodology. Taking it back to fitness. I mean, the reason you go see a physical therapist is because, because you're hurt. But if you did the, the accessory work and the prehab, you a would be more resilient to injury or B, if you did get injured, you'd be able to come back a, a lot sooner and a lot stronger. So it, it's the same idea where if you do these five to 10 minute family check-ins on Sunday, you don't have to have a blowout hour and a half family discussion when, when you realize that you've gone down the wrong path. And, and I, one of the greatest visualizations for me, whether it be parenting or, or marriage is, one degree. One degree doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But if you take a plane from New York to LA and they are one degree off and they fly the same path, but they are one degree off, they'll end up like a thousand miles away from where they were supposed to land because of the time that they took to fly the miles, right? So let's say your family gets one degree off or your your panting is one degree off but it doesn't go unchecked which is what that family meeting every sunday does and it doesn't go unchecked all of a sudden your trajectory over the course of a month six months a year now now you're 1500 miles off the mark from where you want to go where had it been checked early on it wouldn't have been that big of a deal to deal with this is um, one of my favorite analogies is the one degree off in, in navigation of air, you know, flight, because it's yeah. so relevant 
I have a story about that. Um, not too long ago, a couple months ago, my son, who is 16, uh, we were on our, at our family meeting, and he said, uh, you know, I want to talk about something. We're like, okay, awesome. And he's like, um, I'm really tired of going places with you guys right now because all we see is all the things going wrong, businesses closing down, um, mm-hmm. people acting stupid, you know, the whole COVID thing. And he's like, I just want to have a good time with my family. Wait, what? What's COVID? I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was an example of he had waited a little too, you know, a while to say that. And so right. at first we probably were one degree off where Kim and I were just having fun because we are best friends like you and Sarah are. And we just mm-hmm. operated as best friends forever. And we're like, oh, my gosh, that's ridiculous. So no, this rule's ridiculous. And this is happening. And this is ridiculous. And, you know, we're just talking amongst ourselves. And um, instead of being corrected, my son probably waited till we were 500 miles off. And it's like, I'm sick. Of, I'm right. not going with you guys anymore if I have a choice because it's 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 a downer. And um, but yeah. the, but the, the thing is, is that I'm so happy to have found out that we've put in a a place for them to have a voice and and help us self-correct because we've taught them how to correct. We've taught them over years, Hey, this is getting off track. Like, let's get it back on track. And I think that, um, those family meetings, man, if every family could implement that, I think it would save a lot of heartache. And going back to the, uh, the failure bit, we, besides lately when, when I, how to cover the the night shifts at the gym. We eat dinner together as a family every night. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we ask both of our sons and granted, they answer to the, to the degree that they can right now, but creating those habits and putting them in place every night for dinner, as, as we're eating, we ask them what they felt at that day. Oh, that's awesome. And, and if the answer is nothing, that, that is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Because to, to me, going back to the failure, if you look at a lot of lives, people, when we talk about finding limits and, and actually looking like what your, your potential is and meeting that potential, if you are not willing to fail, you are going to consistently play it safe and risk nothing. And so maybe you were destined to be this entrepreneur. Maybe you were destined to be whatever it is, right? But you got to a point where you realized failing was more scary to you than achieving greatness. And so you just, you got to like 75% and then you just, stay there. Right. And you live with inside your bubble. You never take risks because you're never putting yourself out there. You're never exposing yourself and you're never becoming vulnerable. We want to establish a belief in our children. We want to establish an understanding for them to be vulnerable, for them to put themselves out there. Because I think the worst thing to hear when you're 50 is what great potential you have. At some point, Scott, that potential has to transfer to action. And if you're that person that never takes that risk, if you're that person that never 
take that risk because they're afraid to fail. You're always going to be that person with so much potential, but you never meet it. I would be terrified and heartbroken if at 50 years old, someone said to one of my kids, you have so much potential. At that point, they should be living what their potential is. Yeah. Right. That's so good. It's so good. And I think the, the, the message is just really hard to get across. It's really hard to get across to society right now, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so I, I was having a talk with my buddy who is also an entrepreneur. He owns a physical therapy clinic down the road from us. And we were talking yesterday, and here's the deal. And I think I've learned this as, as I've gotten older. I cannot change anyone. So like th- this podcast is great. I think it's, it's, I think it's getting information out as a human being. I cannot change anyone. And Scott, you cannot change anyone. The greatest thing that we can do, the greatest power that we have is influence. But here's the deal. We can influence someone so much. I can influence someone to come to the gym, right? And I can get them excited about working out, but if they don't have autonomy, if they don't do it for themselves, if I don't give them the tools to be able to do it for themselves, then once my influence wears off, once the novelty of doing X, Y, and Z wears off, they're no longer going to do it. They didn't make a change. So I think the, the message to get across is, And, and this goes a little bit to, to Jocko's book. You need to take extreme ownership. Absolutely. And you you can listen, like listening to podcasts on being a good parent or being a good husband is not going to make you a good parent or a good husband. You need to then take those things and put them into practice, not for one day. And and we see that all the time in the gym. And and it's going to come up in, in January, like New Year's resolutions, like, like let's see this. Working out for one day, working out for one week, working out for one month is not going to do anything. And and we just, we just passed Thanksgiving. Eating everything on Thanksgiving is not going to throw you off track. Eating everything for the next six months will, but it's a one-off day, whether it's really good or really bad, isn't going to change the outcomes. Where if you want to be a better husband, if you want to be a better parent, it's an everyday consistent journey to reach that and and Ryan Holiday's book the obstacle is the way every single day you're going to be faced with different things in front of you how you overcome them to continue to take that next step is actually what's going to change your life and change the life of, of your wife and change the life of, of your kids yeah absolutely and I think honestly I don't even want to say anymore. I want to like, (laughs) that is the message. That is the message. And it's so important to know is that you are in control that extreme ownership. Mm -hmm. Nothing I can do can make you do it. You you could listen to three podcasts a day about being a great father. It's not going to make you a good father until you draw that line and do the things that need to be done. Probably gonna, probably gonna make you a worse one because what were your kids doing when you were listening to those podcasts? <laughs> That's right. 
Jeff, you you have just dropped like so much knowledge. I appreciate your experiences and um, your wisdom as a father so young is is really inspiring. It's it's really encouraging. And appreciate I, that, Scott. Yeah, I mean, you're you know, I meant young as as a, the journey of, of being a father. Right. I mean, it's just incredible. So um, and and just over the the last year getting to interview you and your wife, I see a very, very special relationship. So I just really thank you for coming on to um, this show and sharing how you guys have done that. Thank you very much for that. Absolutely. Um, And the last thing that I will leave these listeners with, um, it's going to be a bit of homework. And yeah. So you, you always hear the, the old adage, you know, there's no instruction book on, on how to be a parent. Um, and there isn't. But what if there was? And what if you as a parent could create it? So this actually stems from uh, Kobe Bryant dying in a helicopter crash. And I was with my two buddies out in Colorado when that happened. And we got to the discussion, if you were going to die, would you want it to be like a terminal illness where you had six months or would you want it to be in a freak accident? And my one buddy, very calculated, said he'd want it to be a terminal illness because he would like set up all these like letters that were delivered at different times and, and set up this whole framework. So like he would always be in his kids and, and his wife's life. And for me, it was immediate. I'd, I'd want to go in, 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 in a burning crash. And his question was, you know, then how would you say bye? And, and how would you like, what legacy? My question to him is, why do you have to wait till you're terminally ill to create that? So this kind of stemmed from that. I started writing journal entries to my boys about what it is to be married, what it is to be a man, what it is to be a father, about virtue, about character, about justice. And about love, to be honest with you, the entire thesis of it is love. Mm. And I don't care how soft that is. Love to me is the greatest impactor of the world. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that them reading a journal entry, it's pretty cool. Um, But I, I then believed it would be more impactful if I created videos for them. So for each of my boys I have, and it's ongoing, I create videos for them about, I create an instruction booklet for them of videos on how to be a husband, how to be a man, how to be a parent. And so when they're older and they have the instruction booklet, they can see how I was a parent with them what I learned about myself as I was raising them, who they were, because here's the deal. You can create an anchor. Like for example, watching my three-year-old care for my one and a half year old brings tears to my eyes. The amount of compassion and empathy that he has in his heart, it blows my mind. And if I can tell him who he was when he was three years old, and then he sees that when he was 16, that's his home base. Whoever, that one degree, wherever his plane is flying when he's 16, he then can write his course because he knew, he knows who God made him 
when he was three year old, when he was this moldable being opposed to who he was then at 16. Mm -hmm. So the homework is whether it's writing, whether you want to do it in writing, I want them to see my face and I want them to hear my words. So that's why I wanted to do video. Create a legacy that you can then give to your children. Create that instruction booklet. So regardless of whether you're around or not, like alive or not, they have a guide and they have a map directly from you that could direct them away from things that you found failure in and lead them to things where you found success. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. Okay, so the to my listeners, first of all, thank you for listening to this episode. Second of all, I would encourage you to do this immediately. Start recording the lessons to teach your kids as a as a book. Leave a leg plan for your legacy now because Jeff's right. We never know when our last moment will be, and we may not have time to plan. So, pen to paper or a video or something plan and even if you don't pass it's still going to be an incredible thing to pass on and it is the yeah. instruction book for life so that's incredible thank you everybody for listening to this episode of the brotherhood of fatherhood if you are in west virginia in the area of crossfit morgantown like you you deserve it to go uh check this place out because what i know of jeff and his wife sarah you are going to have an incredible experience. And if you have not done yet, you're a man you, and you uh, have not joined the Brotherhood of Fatherhood group on Facebook, if you are on Facebook, go check it out. If not, just keep listening to these podcasts and uh, shoot us an email, scott at brotherhoodfatherhood.com or josh at brotherhoodfatherhood.com. We'd love to hear from you, hear what life is bringing on you and, and how you're being inspired by these stories like from men like Jeff Josie. Have a great day.